Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Training Unleashed. I've got a real training expert as a guest. I can't wait. Before we start, though, I've got to thank my sponsors, C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio. My guest is Hillman Sori, and he is with Close Loop. And this is a really cool company. We'll hear more about it later, but it's five and a half years old, and it just got named as one of the top 25 training companies in the country, which is kind of cool. So let me just start out and just ask you this question. Training changes, right? It, it, it always evolves, technology, pandemic. You've got a new training company. You're only five and a half years old. I know that you guys are a little cutting edge. What's new in training? What should be people, what should our listeners sit, sit here and say to ourselves, you know, this is what I should be thinking about today because this is this is cutting edge in training. Well, first, Evan, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, what's cutting edge in training? The fact that you're asking the question is fantastic because so many people, one of the reasons we were able to go in five and a half years from, you know, being unheard of to being kind of at the top of the food chain is because there is so little being done in the way of advancing training, whether that's in delivery, whether that's in content, whether that's in context, whatever it might be. Here are the obvious things. Think about COVID. Everybody was forced to work from home. They're still working. They're working from home. So this takes people out of the office. You don't get that old ability to manage by walking around and stop by Evan's desk and give him a little bit of direction or that, that ability to build esprit de corps sitting in the uh, conference room or in the uh, cafeteria or the kombucherator, which is what they have in San Francisco, right? You have everybody decentralized working from home. How do you find a way to train and deliver content at the same quality, to at the same level of impact for everybody across your organization? That's one piece. A second piece is this convergence of really effective technology, meaning the medium that we're using right now, which is video conferencing, to be able to impactfully in an asynchronous, I'm sorry, in a live but virtual means, deliver content to individuals. And then finally, you've got this whole convergence of uh, technology in the realm of asynchronous learning, where you've got folks who can go out and they can look at things on demand. Some of your listeners might actually be listening to this after a live recording. Same impact, same information. You've got metrics on the back of these types of things to help evaluate whether or not people are watching through to the end, whether or not they've had impact, whether or not they're leveling up and how this applies to their role. There's so much, the, the, the bottom line answer here is technology. Technology has both become an impediment to training as well as something that catalyzes training in a much more broad respect where you can actually deliver um, high quality across an organization that might be distributed. You know, I think I think what you're saying is is very interesting because almost everything that is good has a bad part to it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. The best of times, the worst of times, right? Yeah. No, and and I, I do think that people can can use something you know like virtual training and and become lazy about it. Yes. And and you know where you know, effective training is really well thought out. It's super interactive. The learner 
you know, ha has to utilize the knowledge, right? So it it's it is easy, and I I see it a lot that you know people think, okay, I'll just do training. We'll just do all kinds of virtual webinars, and people are you know, oh, it's two minutes up. I'll start to prepare now. Right. Uh, so let's just take take a second and maybe talk about the blend, right? Because people talk about blended learning. You know, what should be asynchronous? What should be synchronous? Um, what the, the flow, the status, et cetera. And I, I know because I'm looking here and people on TV show see the word coach. I also know that you have a, another company that is, is a coaching company. Um, so how do you see blended training work? What are some best practices in blended training? I think that the best track practices start before the determination of delivery. And what I mean by that is a lot of folks begin the construct and the design of training after they've hired a person. I think that you have to take a step back and look at what we call a competency matrix, which is basically saying, you know, I, I run Evancorp and I understand that I've got these three roles that I need to fill that are going to be critical for the delivery of my product, the sale of my product, and, you know, the ongoing development of my product going forward. For my company, there are specific competencies that one must have before I'm even going to grant them an interview, much less let, let them into my company. We call these like acquired competencies, acquired skills, right? Yeah. Then there are Things that I'm going to know based upon my subject matter expertise, based upon my support system, this is managers and coaches and everything else, based upon um, my ability to deliver that I can actually imbue these people with once they're in my organization that's going to give me competitive advantage and opportunity to retain people and significant performance gains. And those are the things that I'm going to be able to train on, right? So now that I've got that fodder, and a lot of people don't take that first step of understanding who they're bringing into the organization. And even if they are trainable or coachable, right? That's another thing to vet for. Now that I've got that individual, I need to have a real clear path of understanding a lot of energy. And you know, I work a lot fairly deeply in the sales realm. A lot of energy is invested in onboarding, you know, your first 30, 60, 90, and then there's nothing. It's just this dearth of anything, you know, there's maybe a yeah. little bit of coaching, maybe it's, you know, drive-by training to your point where it's like, I got something coming up, let me steal something from the web, turn it into a PowerPoint, hop onto Zoom, and now I've delivered a quote-unquote training, right, with no measurement of the impact and no, no, no understanding of where it was supposed to go, uh, and no diligence with respect to creating a training program. So then once you've done that and you reverse engineer, where are the milestones that you would see someone hitting inside of the organization? Now you've got to understand what's going to get them there. What types of skills do I need to imbue them with? And then how are those skills developed? Some skills might require in the realm of, of sales might require role play. Okay, that's something you could do in a virtual environment potentially. Some skills might require um, hands-on tutelage. That's something you would want to do live to the degree that you could. Some skills might just require core knowledge. That's something that you could do asynchronously. So every organization needs to identify, and some things, yeah, this is not to say also that some things aren't just learned on the job, right? And then you need to take that learning, codify it, and help people understand what they've learned and be able to apply it going forward so that they're building bricks in their expertise, not just repeating the same level of experience over and over again. So having someone in your organization or identifying an external entity that has a, a lens toward that actually creates a number of things. One, it creates clarity 
for the employee around the expectations that they can be held accountable to. It creates clarity and, and no mutual mystification around the obligation of the organization to support that trajectory. And then it creates clarity around performance and educational attainment so that you've got some means of rewarding folks or you know helping folks to where they need some more support in, in the event that they're having challenges. So looking at this in a very circumspect and thoughtful way is critical to creating a training program. Too often, the training becomes, oh, we've got to do some training, and you find the special projects coordinator to go have that happen, or you hire a trainer who is a master or or mistress, I don't think that's right, but the female <laughs> version of a master of, 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 um, uh, of, of special projects, right, who, who might have deep knowledge in some specific area, but then you're asking them to train the whole individual, and, and that's not a fair ask. So there, there are multimodal pieces that are essential here that are wholly dependent upon your organization, the types of people you're hiring, and what your expectations are. Well, you've, you've said a lot, and I just want to highlight something I think you said that I think most people totally miss, mm -hmm. and that is the evaluation of the people and, and their abilities, the capabilities of, of the staff. Yeah. It was interesting, just a couple of days ago, I, I started a project, which was a learner's, not a learner's journey, a sales journey, you know, and what are the best practices at each level of a sales journey? to find out that they have no way of evaluating who they hire in wow. terms of their attributes. And so a lot of the skills that they're missing, because, you know, what's your number one fail? The number one fail is someone's inability and un unwillingness to make a prospecting call. And and well, there are certain people that have no issues doing that. That's right. And there are certain people that have major issues and at least in my life, I have found it's incredibly difficult to get somebody who does not have that kind of personality to be effective. Absolutely. At. That's not a training issue, right? <laughs> That's right. Absolutely true. That's, yeah. you know, call reluctance is a big deal. And so, so this is where, when you think about coaching, this is where you could evaluate. And this is one thing that I encourage people to look at before they begin a coaching conversation with someone. First off, you can't train someone, you can't coach someone on something they haven't been trained to do, right? So yeah. training uh, precedes coaching. The second piece is as you're entering into a coaching conversation, let's take an individual perhaps who has call reluctance, who's not making the right amount of dials. You can tell that they're, you know, they get embarrassed or they hate rejection, whatever it might be. You have to understand, is this a mindset issue? Is this an activity issue or is this a skill set issue? And the easiest way to remember that in my mind is MAS is, is part of mastery, right? When all of those yeah. things are in order, you've got someone who's performing at their top. So here's the challenge that you mentioned. There are folks for whom cold calling is a mindset issue, which is simply that this is beneath me. This is what people do when they're, you, you know, uh, uh, when they're selling newspapers or when they're doing something else. And I don't think anybody's going to answer the phone anyway, because everybody's got a cell phone now and it's got caller ID. And even if they do, who's going to buy what I'm selling over the phone? All of that, none of it's truth. It's all belief system, right? Oh, yeah. So either determine, is this something that I want to take a stab at shifting? And the only way to shift that belief system is to have somebody have evidence of a different outcome, right? Is this something that you are prepared for and have the ability to do? Is this an activity issue where it's like the person isn't necessarily against it, they just don't seem to prioritize it. They don't budget enough time in their day to actually get to it. Well, then let's get into some calendar management and ensure we've got a block of time to do this. 
Or is this a training issue where the person has seen other people be successful, understands this is critical to their job performance, is bought in on it, but gets really uncomfortable because they just don't know how to go about it without doing it in a way that feels super salesy or feels like they're interrupting someone's day. Then you imbue them with some training. So as you fold together these layers of coaching being that way in which we give people the education and training, I'm sorry, uh, training being the way in which we give people the education and train coaching being the way in which we create performance improvement and close those gaps, that's where the marriage takes place. That's, that's where I get really excited in, in coupling the two together. I really like that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift us a little bit into the second phase. Sure. So one of the things I see in training is that companies, you know, okay, some companies don't do it. I mean, literally just don't Most. do it. And, you know, the whole name of the show, Training Unleashed, is the idea that do training right, unleash the, the growth and profitability of training. Then some companies do the training part, right, where they will hold classes, the whole education, et cetera. But the real win is when you create individual programs for people and you provide coaching because that creates the sustainability, the whole issue you have with training and people forgetting and, you know, lack of use. Uh, you know, the you know, training is a, is a quickly diminishing uh, investment if you don't have a system of ingraining it. So I know you know a lot about coaching. And I know the people here are are into training, but the coaching part is very critical. And so I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you two questions. I'm gonna tell you up front what the two questions are. Okay. Okay. One is, you know, what is what is the proper way for companies internally, you know, not hiring outside coaches, but people internally to create a co a, a coaching culture. Mm -hmm. And then the next question, which is the more difficult question, is how do you affect coaching when you're dealing at scale, where you're dealing with thousands of people? Mm -hmm. And how do you how do you make that work? So I, I know people tend to answer the second question first, but I really want to go to the first question first. I just want to clearly differentiate sort of the two. So sure. how if if I'm a listener and I go, okay, we do train pretty well. I'd like to now create a ongoing coaching relationship where it can be customized to the learner's needs. What, what are the best practices? What are the suggestions you would give somebody there? I hope that your listeners are asking that question because coaching is truly, not only is there an altruistic reward for both the coachee and the coach in that you've created this relationship, which is individually moving someone towards both their professional and personal goals. I mean, what's more rewarding than that, right? But yeah. it also is the least expensive, when you think about it, highest impact activity that a manager can perform, irrespective of what part of the organization you're in, to actually create an exponential impact on an organization. So I hope folks are thinking about that. How do you go about creating a coaching culture? I think that in my opinion and in, in my experience and having worked with a, a number of really large organizations and, and shifted that culture is also working with some smaller and mid-sized organizations where they've been able to indoctrinate this culture as well. You have to train managers on how to coach. And I know it sounds obvious, 
but this is not something you get at even the top MBA schools today. It's not, there's no how to coach. There's all kinds of stuff around management and accountability and what to do with a spreadsheet and how to put somebody on a performance improvement plan and how to manage process efficiency and yada, yada, yada. We got that in spades. There is very little around methodology with respect to how you go about managing a coaching conversation. So here's what happens. In the absence of being trained on how to do it, I'm not going to because it's not comfortable. And so instead, what a lot of folks are doing in, in lieu of coaching conversations are these things that are kind of like what I call um, informal check-ins, where it's like, hey, Evan, so how are things going? You know, what's on your plate? What are you thinking about? And it's exhausting me because I don't know where this conversation is going. You're like, why is my manager talking to me about this stuff? What type of stuff am I supposed to tell him so he goes away? You start running these tracks of like your parents, <laughs> like, you know, so where were you last night kind of a thing, right? How do I get out of this conversation as quickly as possible? So the first remedy, <clears throat> inspect what you expect, train folks on coaching, right? Find a methodology and there are myriad methodologies out there. We wrote a book uh, called The Five Secrets of a Sales Coach, specifically for salespeople um, that espouses a methodology that's just very super simple. There's a C, which is identify the challenge. There's an O, which is outline the path to success. There's the A, which is creating an action plan that's followed by the next C, which is understanding the consequences. And then there's the H, which is how you hold each other accountable. You go into each conversation they could be 15 to 20 minutes long with this as your construct that you've clearly articulated to the person that you're coaching. Now you've got an easy means of managing these dialogues. And here's the thing. You don't have to be a wizard. You don't have to be, you know, I grew up in Chicago. You don't have to be Phil Jackson coming into this with like, you know, tape and songs and Zen and mantras and chakras. And you don't have to do all that. All you have to do is be consistent and be able to understand, you know, the theory of marginal gains, which is this idea of continuous improvement and holding each other accountable to that movement. That's the first piece. Now, here's the thing that happens when you begin to create a culture of coaching that perpetuates this and, and, and creates uh, velocity throughout and ubiquity throughout the organization is you start to have success, right? Success comes in the form of the relationship gets closer, becomes tighter, because now I can count on my manager to support me. They have my best interest at heart. I'm being held accountable things that are small wins that are reasonable for me to achieve. Who doesn't want to revisit a conversation where we're celebrating success or at least moving, removing impediments or, or potential failures, right? That creates this culture that people stick with. The last piece here, and this is why we created the software, the last piece here is you've got to create uh, webs by which managers can share with each other how they're resolving challenges. Too often, and I've worked in a number of organizations where we were all silos unto ourselves. Sure, we had management team meetings, but those management team meetings were about the body of the organization as a whole, not about the pieces that made the organization come together. If you're able to find a way, again, leveraging technology where I understand what Evan's working on with his team. He understands what Hillman's doing. We've got a little bit of a playbook of how, here's how we resolved these challenges in the past. And here's what's been impactful for the organization. We don't need to recreate the wheel. We're able to leverage each other's resources to create this huge impact throughout the organization. That's, that's how you make it spread. So you can do this in analog. You don't need tech. I'm not a huge fan of just buy tech for everything. I say do it in analog until the analog breaks. If you want to do this in a spreadsheet and share the spreadsheet, that's you know, the spreadsheet is some of the best MVP of software you can ever use, but you got to start there. That's what we tell folks. So I love a lot of what you said, but I want to just highlight that having the coaches communicate with each other and have them share success and build that energy so you don't feel alone as a coach, which kind of leads to the second question. 
how do you do coaching or maybe it's not exactly coaching, but how do you create that accountability and support structure when you're a large organization where there are thousands of people yeah. that you need to bring into the picture? Yeah, I think that it's it's the same way you manage anything else. You you have to have clarity of purpose, right? So on one level, one thing that happens between manager and individual contributor often is that I come to Evan and I go, hey, Evan, you know, there, there are five or six things I want you to be thinking about. Now, if I were trying to throw you five or six tennis balls, you'd maybe catch one, right? I know yeah. you're, you have pretty good dexterity. You might catch two. But the idea is that it can be overwhelming when that's what you do. Now, think about doing this every week, net new, because you feel as a manager, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to find little holes, poke little holes, and throw it at you. There's no collaboration around resolution. Well, one thing you do with your management team is you set the objectives and the goals of the organization, which are already being done anyway. Whether you're talking about KPIs or OKRs or choose your acronym, whatever the heck it might be, <laughs> your organization is being run by some guiding principles, right? The, the, the result then is that that happens at that high level of strategy. Now, moving down throughout the organization, it becomes more and more critical that you get to the point of execution. What's most critical when you're trying to disseminate this across a multi-thousand person organization is that as you get to, let's call them the sergeants and the soldiers, for, for, for an analogy that most folks can easily understand. Once you get there, we need to be able to expressly articulate what are the things that we need to be doing? And not 10, less three or less that we need to be doing as an organization to be impactful. Those become the only things you're coaching on. It's almost like, I remember, um, I, I mean, uh, this is the story, someone should go Google this to get the true story, but paraphrasing basically, um, in the 80s, there was an individual who took over Alcoa. And Alcoa at the time, for those of us who are a little bit older, we used to remember that they would sponsor uh, Sunday night, Sunday afternoon football, huge organization, multi-billion dollar global organization. And he went to uh, Wall Street and had the first shareholders meeting. And they're wondering, what are you going to do to help grow profitability? And he said, safety. All we're going to do is we're going to focus on safety. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? We should be doing acquisitions and we should be cutting costs on this and we should be procuring from there and we should be getting arbitrage from this, yet and the other. It's, no, 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 no. It's all about safety. Because what he understood was is that if he articulated safety as being the guiding principle of the organization and that trickled down through, what would happen is shop safety would happen. And therefore you've got less people out on um, less people out on leave because of injuries. You've got more people who are available for work. You've got a workplace that becomes inherently more efficient because there aren't obstacles in the way. The person from mopping the floors all the way up through the corner suite of the office understands workplace safety being the key as a guiding principle, which floats all boats of productivity and performance. So you're, the onus on you, if you're listening to this and you are in a leadership role, is to figure out what are the things that guide the success of your organization, then imbue leadership with clarity around how that shows up in execution. Then you create a coaching culture around those one to two to maybe three at most things that each manager is holding their individual contributors accountable to, and you're only coaching to those. And that's an issue of training. It's an issue of education. It's an issue of of of, of real um, you know collaboration around the team to understand and come to come get buy in around these things. But that's how you roll something like that out. Now, does it happen overnight? Absolutely not. But when it happens, it is immensely impactful, and anyone should be able to walk through the organization and see those tenants tenants at play 
easily without having to sift through a spreadsheet or, or look at an annual report. I love it. You know, what I'm hearing you say is clarity, 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 and to actually understand the underlying attributes that are going to impact business. That's right. And a lot of companies might have clarity, but they're focusing on the wrong things. I think so. A lot of things. Yeah. So, and here's so, and I have one thing, because because you began the show by saying, you know, what's changed in training. That clarity you may have had in 2019 shifted in 2020. It's also shifting in, in you know toward the end of this year, and it will shift again in another year. So that clarity of purpose has to be aligned to the market in which you're operating. So because what 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 may have been six months ago at the speed of business today might not be objective clarity in today's economy. Tortal Trainings Learning Matter experts are passionate about designing effective solutions that move the needle. Whether your organization needs development of e-learning courses, instructor-led training, or assistance with creating optimized electronic versions of employee handbooks, our team can help. To learn more, visit tortle.com slash learning dash development. So Hillman, you're a very interesting guest, and I have no doubt that our listeners want to know more about your company. Five and a half years old, now one of the top 25 training companies in the country. Um, so can you tell, tell us about your company, what you do, who, uh, who your ideal customers are and how people of course can reach you if they want to talk to you. Sure. So th there are three facets to, um, my, my businesses that, that I'm running right now. Um, closed loop, C-L-O-Z-E-L-O-O-P is, um, a sales. You got to do it one more time because people <laughs> here are listening. A lot of people don't get the show notes. Okay, I'll say it one more time. Closed Loop, which is C-L-O-Z-E-L-O-O-P.com, is a sales management consulting firm where we do training and sales enablement consulting, working with companies that range from early stage startups. They might be Series A and just hiring their first salespeople, transitioning from founder-led sales to how do we scale this thing all the way through. We've worked with some companies that would be considered unicorns and, and household names to most of you. Uh, strictly B2B is, is our space there. Uh, been around five and a half years. And yes, we did win Selling Power uh, uh, top, tra top 25 training firm award, which was really impressive and a testament to both our customers and, and the rest of the team. Uh, the other company that, that we mentioned and alluded to a little bit earlier that we started is Coach CRM, which actually spun out of wor work we were doing with coaching uh, those same teams. And we've spun out software to drive performance, individual performance and team performance through technology, uniting that human to human connection and, and helping to cross the barriers of some of those things that uh, you talked about earlier. That's coachcrm.com. Sounds like a very cool company. Very, very cool. Very interesting. Thank you. So I know you have an offer. Uh, and one of the best things about this show is people get free stuff. So, yeah. uh, so please share with us what your offer is. Let's, let's contribute to the free stuff. So if you go to coachcrm.com slash start now, you can have a free trial of Coach CRM. They come, it is not one of those that you just download. You've got to figure out navigating and figure out your way around. We will get one of our professional services coaches on a call with you to help you understand what it is that you're trying to achieve with respect to coaching on your team, what some of those critical metrics and objectives are that you're trying to drive, and how best to take a test run of this really high-powered tool that can help you to unify coaching throughout your organization, drive, drive impact and performance. So that's coachcrm.com front slash 
Start now. Very nice. Very nice. And Hillman, I know our listeners know this, and I know you know this because we prepped, but uh, <laughs> I always love to end. If you had one tip to share with our audience, what would that one tip be? You know, the greatest tip that I would have to share, I got to go back to the Alcoa story because I know we prepped on this and I was thinking something else, but that Alcoa story came to me as, as we were talking. If you can identify, whether it's for you personally, whether it's for your team as a manager, or whether it's for your company as someone in leadership, one thing that can have a precipitous impact on the goals of your organization that you can hold each and every person accountable to or each and every party accountable to, that goes a long way toward helping you decide what do I need to train on? What are the skills? Where's the gap between where we are today and the skill sets that we have? And how can I get, deliver to my team or to myself uh, a means of closing that gap to get more proficient? And obviously, just going back to the conversation we just had, this gives you real clarity around where it is that you begin coaching. If you can figure out that one thing, I'd, they, I'd say you're light years ahead of, of the rest of your competition. That's a great tip, a really great tip. You know, the Alcoa story, I have heard before because I read it in a book. Yeah. And I've been scratching my head because it's an amazing story about how one thing that you wouldn't think would be that big a deal was massive. Do you remember the book? I don't remember the book. It's killing me. <laughs> but I think we read the same book. I do know, though, because I've shared this in trainings, not recently, obviously, or it would be more immediate recall. I do know that the story is Googleable. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that's good. Yeah. Well, uh, Helen, thank you for being a great guest. I want to thank the audience. Without you, there wouldn't be a show. I want to thank my friends at C Suite TV, C Suite Radio. Everyone have a great day. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Tortal Training, specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Tortal makes effective training easier. Just go to tortal.net to gain access to real-world tools that can make a difference. That's tortal.net, T-O-R-T-A-L, tortal.net. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>